0: Genesis chapter 47. When we get towards the end of Genesis, we're looking at the life of uh, Joseph. Remember, he was sold by his brethren into slavery. Uh, They at first were going to kill him, and Reuben talked him out of that. And then they said, as these slave traders come by, well, we'll just sell him. Well, you've got to be pretty cold-hearted to sell your own brother (laughs) into slavery. But that's what they did. And you know what happened, he got down there and he was in the house of Potiphar and his, his, her, uh, his wife kept trying to get him to uh, have intimate relations with her and he wouldn't do it, he, he uh, stood true and faithful and he wound up being in prison for something he didn't do and the chief butler and the baker are there and they have dreams and he interprets those dreams for them by the leadership of the Lord and after Pharaoh has a dream the baker says, hey, I've, wait a minute, I remember uh, uh, that there was a fellow in prison who told us what what we dreamed, and so anyway, Joseph is brought before Pharaoh, and he tells him the interpretation of his dream, and his dream was, remember there were seven uh, fat uh, ears of corn, so, and then here come seven thin ears and ate them up, seven fat cows and seven skinny cows ate them up, and you couldn't tell they'd eaten eat the other cows, and uh, he said, "The Lord has shown you something, Pharaoh, and he's, because He showed you twice, that means it's it's coming very quickly." And he said, "The seven fat ears and seven fat kine are seven years of plenty, and the blasted ears and the skinny kine or that that is seven years of famine." And he said, "Here's what you need to do." And so they said, "Well, who have we got that's smarter than Joseph?" And so Joseph went straight from prison to become the prime minister, the second in command in the nation of uh, Egypt. And so all during those good years, he took all that surplus and started putting it in in barns. And uh, I I don't know if they had silos back in those days, but storage. And we're still finding out things that the Egyptians did in the way of preserving bodies and food and different things. Uh, As the years roll by, we're still discovering some of that. So perhaps they had a very good system of storing all this grain, and they did so. And then all of a sudden, the bad years start. And when the bad years start, it's not just in Egypt, it's all around the area. And so Jacob, who believes that Joseph is dead, sends his sons to go down and to buy some food. And that's where we are in this story right here. Uh, they, They go to buy the food. Uh, he sends them back and he puts their money back in their sacks. But he keeps one of them, Simeon, in bonds. And he said, I want you to bring your younger brother. And, of course, Jacob does not want to send the younger brother. He said, I, you know, he's my favorite and all this type of thing. And he said, I've already lost Joseph. But they have to send him because that's the only way they can get the food. And once they get down there, the, uh, the men are, uh, they find out that, hey, that's Joseph, our brother. And so that's the situation that we find ourselves in here in chapter 47. Look in verse number 9, or verse 8. Pharaoh said unto Jacob, How old art thou? And Jacob said unto Pharaoh, The the days of the years of my pilgrimage are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my my life been." In other words, he's, he's not saying that his whole life was bad. He's saying I had a few bad years is the way that uh, should be looked at. And have not attained unto the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their pilgrimage. And and Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out uh, from before Pharaoh. And Joseph placed his father and his brethren and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt and the best of the land in the land of the Ramesses, as Pharaoh had commanded. And Pharaoh nourished his father and his brethren and all his father's household with bread according to their families. Now let's skip all the, the next verses and flower to verse 27. And Egypt excuse me, Israel dwelt in the land of Egypt, in the country of Goshen, and they had possessions therein, and grew and multiplied exceedingly. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt seventeen years. So the whole age of Jacob was 147 years. And the time drew nigh that Israel must die. And he called his son Joseph and said unto him, If now I have found grace in thy sight, put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh, and deal kindly and truly with me. Bury me not, I pray thee, in Egypt. But I will lie with my fathers, and thou shalt carry me out of Egypt, and bury me in their burying place. And he said, I will do as thou hast said. And he said, Swear unto me. And he sware unto him, and Israel bowed himself upon the bed's head. May we pray. Father, as we've got to this rich section of Scripture where we're dealing with uh, Joseph and his brethren being uh, made known to them, and then, of course, his father coming uh, down and all the, the rest of the family coming into Egypt, and Joseph took care of them, and they had possessions in the land of Goshen. Father, help us to draw some good spiritual truth from this section of Scripture, enrich our hearts and our minds, and send us away, I pray, with thy blessing. In Christ's name, amen. Well, seven years of plenty, seven years of famine. We're at the point, if I'm not mistaken here, where there's two years into the famine, so there's five more years left is the time frame. And verse 13 in Genesis 47 and there was no bread in all the land, for the famine was very sore, so that the land of Egypt and all the land of Canaan fainted by reason of the famine. Now, I don't know if it was a drought, if there was some kind of fungus that got in the crops. We, we don't really know, but we just know that there was a famine, and it's a very severe famine. Would you note with me, no bread in all the land? Would you note with me in verse number 15, no money? If you'll note with me in verse number seventeen, no cattle. The last part of it. Then in verse number twenty, all the land of Egypt. There's no land anymore. And then in verse number twenty-five, there's no freedom. They become slaves to Pharaoh. Let's look at these things here. Here they are. They've, they've, all these years of plenty, the Egyptians have no doubt. They've sold grain. They've traded and all these things. Joseph has amassed a huge amount of food and as the Egyptians began to come to him because that's what Pharaoh said whatever Joseph says that's what you do and so as they came to uh, Joseph and would begin to ask food there's no bread and so they he said all right uh, I'll I'll take your money you can buy some bread and Joseph gathered all the money verse number 14 that was found in the land of Egypt in the land of Canaan for the corn which they, they bought, and Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. And when the money failed, you know, it's, it's all right if you need something and you got some money, but if you need something and don't have any money, it's, you start getting in despair. So money fails in the land of, of Canaan, the land of Egypt. And Joseph said in verse 16, sell me your cattle, I'll trade you food for your cattle. And he said, I'll give you uh, uh, I'll give, uh, this, I'll give you for your cattle, if money fail. Of course, I already had. And they brought their cattle unto Joseph, and Joseph gave them bread in exchange for horses, and for their flocks, and for the cattle of their herds, for their asses. And he fed them with bread for all their cattle for that year. So another year's rolled by. And when that year was ended, they came unto him a second year, and said unto him, We will not hide it from my Lord, that how that all our money is spent. My Lord hath also all our herds of cattle. There's not aught left in the sight of my Lord, but our bodies and our land. Wherefore shall we die before thine eyes, both we and our land? Buy us and our land for bread, and and we will be servants unto Pharaoh, and give us seed that we may live and not die, that the land be not desolate. And Joseph bought all the land of Egypt. Isn't that a, Can you imagine the government owning every square inch of the United States of America? That's what we're talking about here. They bought all the land. And he buys it for Pharaoh, for the Egyptians sold every man his field because the famine prevailed over them, so the land became Pharaoh's. As for the people, he removed them to cities from one end of the borders of Egypt, even to the other end thereof, and You'll find out the Assyrians did that when they conquered people because people will fight harder for their homeland than they will another piece of ground somewhere else. Everybody knows that. And so he moved them around, and then Joseph said to the people, verse 23, Behold, I have bought you this day and your land for Pharaoh. Lo, here is seed for you, and ye shall sow the land, and it shall come to pass in the increase that ye shall give the fifth part unto Pharaoh. Taxes have been around a long time. So you've got to pay 20%, and, and the four parts shall be your own, and for the seed of the field, and for your food, and for them of, of your households, and for your food, for your little ones. And they said, Thou hast saved our lives. Let us find grace in thy sight, my Lord, and we will be Pharaoh's servants. And Joseph made it a law over the land of Egypt unto this day, that Pharaoh should have the fifth part except the, the land of the priest only, which became not Pharaoh's. And Israel dwelt in the land of Goshen, in the country of Goshen. Excuse me, the land of Egypt, in the country of Goshen. And they had possessions therein. I just read to you how the Egyptians lost everything. They didn't have anything. No money. No livestock. No land. They couldn't even sell themselves. They'd already been sold. They have nothing. Can I say to you that that's exactly the way people who live without God are living? They have nothing. Well, they think they've got something, but listen, you can have all the money in the world, but when you die without God, you're going to leave every penny behind it and go to hell. The, the plagues that fall on, the, on the, the land of Egypt a little bit later on in the book of Exodus, God made a distinction, a division, the Bible says, between his people and the world. We're going to see that division here in just a minute, but I want us to jump ahead in our thinking to the book of Exodus. Uh, Let me give you some others. Noah and his three sons. God made a a division between them and everybody else. Come now into the ark. And the Bible says God shut the door to the ark, not Noah. Noah had pitched it within, without, with pitch to seal it and make it watertight. And you can look the word up, get you a Strong's Concordance, and you'll find out it's the word for atonement. The covering. And atonement is a covering for our sin. So Noah and his three sons were treated differently than everybody else in the world. And there were probably some millions of people. I think I read a book one time said they estimated 60 million people were alive when the flood came well in Goshen here in our text Israel had possessions while the Egyptians lost every single thing they had flip over to the book of Exodus you're almost there anyway to the book of Exodus chapter 8 now you remember God has sent Moses to Pharaoh and said let my people go And what did Pharaoh say? Who's the Lord that I should let these people go? I don't know who he is. And he began to crack down on the Jewish slaves, telling them they had to make the same number of brick, and they had to go get their own straw. Well, God began to uh, plague the nation of, of Egypt. Chapter 8, verse 22, And I will sever in that day the land of Goshen, in which my people dwell that, Uh, That there be no swarms of flies shall be there. To the end that thou mayest know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. And I will put a division between my people and thy people. Tomorrow shall this sign be. That word division, that word division is that same word redemption. That's the difference, by the way, between us and the rest of the world. We're redeemed. The worst sinner you know, the only difference between you and them is the grace of God. So he said, I'm going to make a division. Chapter 9, verse number 6. On the morrow, excuse me, the Lord did that thing on the morrow, and all the cattle of Egypt died. But of the cattle of the children of Israel died not one. Look in verse number 26, chapter number 9. Chapter 9 and verse 26, only in the land of Goshen, where the children of Israel were, was there no hail that he sent to destroy things. Chapter 10 and verse 22, and Moses stretched forth his hand towards the heaven, and there was a thick darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They saw not one another, neither rose any from his place for three days, but all the children of Israel had light... In their dwellings. What are we talking about? God put a difference, a distinction between his people and the rest of the people. Look in Exodus chapter number 12. We've got to read a few extra verses here. Exodus 12, verse number 3. Speaking to all the congregation of Israel, saying in the tenth day of this month, they shall take to them every man a lamb according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for an house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of the souls. Every man according to his eating shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. Ye shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats. Skip down to verse number 7. And they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts, and on the upper uh, doorpost of the house, where, uh, wherein they shall eat it. Skip down to verse thir- uh, 12 and 13. Now, you've heard, how many of y'all ever heard the death angel went through Egypt? How many of y'all heard that terminology? That's not biblical. Let's read the scriptures. Exodus chapter 12, verse 12. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night. That's God speaking. He didn't say I'd send the angel. He said, I'm going to do it. And will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where ye are. And when I see the blood, amen, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. That word Passover. Uh, You know... Airplanes pass over a certain part of the ground. They call it fly over a country. Airplanes going over, going, going by. The word Passover doesn't mean going over. It means to hover over. It's the idea of protection. Like a, a mother hen will spread her wings out and let the little beaties get up under and put, or pull those, those wings down and protect it and she'll give her life for the little biddies, the little chickens, for those of y'all who don't know the word biddies, and protect them. And that's the word that's used here in Exodus, chapter number 12. "When I see the blood, I will hover over, I will pass over you. I'll make sure that you're safe. I'll make a distinction between you and what's going on in Egypt." Now back to our text in Genesis 47. Being a Christian. Is the greatest privilege any human can enjoy and hold as a precious treasure. The Egyptians lost everything. They lost it all. Now, they stayed alive and they loved Joseph for it. I'm, I'm, I think I would be along with them. I'd probably be applauding him as well, but I'm trying to draw a different picture or application out of the text. I gave you the interpretation. This is what happened. It's pretty plain, it's a historical account but there are some spiritual applications we can make in our life. The world hasn't got anything. Nothing they have is permanent. When they leave this world, they're going to leave it all. They won't take anything to heaven with them. Matter of fact, when we start talking about being lost, they're not going to heaven. Uh, What shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses what? His own soul. They have nothing. But we have something. The Jews here are a picture, I think, of Christians. We're using it in that sense. And while everybody around them is losing everything, they lived in Goshen. And the Bible says they had possessions. Joseph made sure they had possessions. Joseph kept the the country of Egypt alive, but he did something better than that for his own people. Our God is the God who puts the rain on the just and on the unjust. Wicked people eat the same food that we eat. People who know not God and have no desire to know God uh, enjoy the same things like that as we do. But they don't have possessions. Let me give you some possessions that we have. We'll talk about them a minute or two. First of all, we possess Christ. (laughs) Uh, We sang that song a while ago, didn't we? I didn't know we were going (laughs) to sing it, to be honest with you. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold i'd rather have him than riches untold listen this world hadn't got anything really worth it Not, what, you know the questions asked, what in hell in other words, what type of thing what is it from the pit that would cause you to stumble over that and go into, and go into that awful place what ki- type of sin what type of Temptation, what type of draw is it that you'd be willing to exchange your soul for? Well, We have Jesus. I, my beloved's, and he is mine. He feedeth among the lilies. Song of Solomon, chapter 6, and verse number 3. And we Christians come to church and we sing, Take the world and give us Jesus. (laughs) I'd rather have him than riches untold. I'd rather have him than anything else. My Father is rich in houses and lands. He holdeth the wealth of the world in his hands, of rubies and diamonds and silver and gold, his coffers are full. He has riches untold. I'm a child of the king. If you're saved, you belong to the richest family that's ever been in the entire existence of the universe. The Bible says the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the righteous. Read it over in the book of Proverbs. We don't, we're not going to need hundred dollar bills when we get to heaven. We're not going to have gold coins to buy things when we get to heaven. We're going to walk on a street made of gold. We're going to go in and out of gates made out of pearl and walls made out of jasper and all types of precious stones and stuff there. We won't need for anything at all. Down here on this earth, we have Christ. Oh, what joy it is when your heart's aching and when times are tough to be able to flee to Him. Cast yourself at his feet, not knowing what to say or how to say it. You just say, oh, my Father. And we grab the feet of our Savior, so to speak, in prayer. And we pray and we approach him. We have something the world doesn't have. I've been asked several times over the last several days, how do lost people do this? How do lost people go to the the funeral home? How do lost people watch their loved one? How do lost people... Go through the funeral and go through it. How do they deal with it? My experience has been they try to just bluff their way through. Just tough it out. Act like, well, everybody's got to do it. And so This is my time and I'm just going to be tough and, and get through it. And as Christians, we can grieve. We can weep. But we sorrow not other, as others who have no hope. For we have Christ. And he has us. We don't know where everybody's going to be buried. People have been buried 300, 400, 500 years ago. I'm assuming their bones are nothing but dust. Probably many a grave plot has been lost. Nobody knows where it is. Maybe some frontier town at some time had a a cemetery. and Maybe it's been plowed up and, and they're planting weed on top of us. But it won't bother the Holy Spirit when the resurrection comes. He'll have no problem at all with bringing forth a glorified body and uniting that with that soul and that spirit. We have Christ. Take the world, but give me Jesus. Secondly, we have peace. I love that old song, Far Away in the Depths of My Spirit tonight, Rose of Melody, sweeter than Psalm, and Celestial, like Strange, it unceasingly falls, or my soul. Like an infinite calm. Peace. Peace. Wonderful peace. Coming down from my Father above. Sweep over my spirit. Ah, peace. Jesus had something to say about peace. Let me read you a verse. John chapter 14, if you want to jot it down or try to race me there to see if you can beat me to it. John chapter 14. Listen to this. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And he went on in another place to say the world didn't give it to you and the world can't take it away. Peace. When the world seems like it's spinning out of hand, we can buy our heads and our hearts before our Savior peace comes thirdly joy joy now the kids are back there they'll they'll have some different type of joy they're going to be singing and they get loud and they'll jump up and down wave their hands and stuff like that and sometimes we adults do that if your team won the football game you'll jump around and waving your arms yelling But joy is much deeper than happiness. I can have joy when I'm sad. Joy is a deep, settled peace in my soul that all is well between me and my Father. It's settled. It's, it's, it's not going to be moved. Deep in the heart of every believer is this thing called joy. And John, 1 John chapter 1 and verse number 4 these things have I written unto you that you may have what? Joy, and that your joy may be full, having fellowship. Joy. Uh, The Egyptians, they had nothing. But God's people lived in Goshen. You know what the word Goshen means? The land of drawing near. One of these days, Jesus is coming. We call it one of these days. Won't be any time frame for him, but just be a time frame for us. We're in the land of drawing near. I may die before Jesus comes. Be all right. You just put my body in the ground won't be me. Be how you knew me and how you talked to me. and We laughed and joked together and worshipped together, but that's not the real me. The real me will be in the presence of God. And if I have to bury you along the way, I'll be looking for you when I get there. Joy, joy. The fourth thing we have is fellowship. The book of Hebrews, chapter 12, has got something to say about this. In chapter 11, we have that great list of heroes of the faith. Then we get to chapter number 12, verse 22. Now, just before that, he said, we've not come unto to the mount that might not be touched. That's talking about legal things. And so it starts in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 22. But you're coming to Mount Zion, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. But did you catch that in verse 23? The general assembly and church of the firstborn. I'm not, don't believe in a universal church type of thing. The local church is how God gets his work done, but the whole body's not gathered together yet. And so in prospect, in looking forward to that, there's a day when all of God's children are going to be home. And we'll have wonderful fellowship, but while we're on the way, we can fellowship here. We can enjoy Christian fellowship here. We can encourage one another here. The Egyptians, the worldly folks, they don't have this. We have this. This this deep-seated fellowship that's within our soul. Regardless of what color we are, what language we speak, if we're saved, washed in the blood, saints of God, we have fellowship one with another. I can tell you every place I've been in this world, when you get around God's people, they're glad to see you. They're glad to see you. Some places I've been, they they weren't they weren't ready to have their pictures taken. I want to take some pictures, and they were like, "Wow, somebody's taking our picture!" They were just all excited about that. But bro, we're just having fellowship. Fellowship. Being alone's awful. It's just tough, and that's why we have this thing called fellowship. One with another. We've come to this General Assembly, Church of the Firstborn. That's my crowd. That's my people. In our Sunday school lesson this morning, we looked at the German rationalism that came into the schools in the 1880s and denied the virgin birth of Christ and a lot of other stuff. And out of that conflict with that crowd was birthed a movement called the Fundamentalist Movement. That's us. That's people who say there's things in this Bible we will not negotiate. There are things in this Bible that we will not uh, waver on. We'll die before we change. And we have what? Fellowship around those truths. We preach the virgin birth of Christ. We don't wait till Christmas to talk about it. We preach it all year long. We, we preach the sinless life that he, that he led. But that sinless life was not enough to save us but I'm glad he lived it. It it was evidence of him being God in flesh. But his sacrificial death on the cross is what welds us together into one body, according to Ephesians chapter number 2. Fellowship of the saints. We can fellowship one with another. We may not agree on everything, but we know who Jesus is and we love him. Well, the last thing we have is this. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. Now, I hadn't made it to heaven yet, but I got a title deed. There it is. I'm on my way to heaven. And if you're saved, you're on your way. When God's people leave this earth, they step right into His presence. We watch sometimes as people struggle. We try to give them our energy and strength as they're laying there in that hospital bed. Their life's ebbing away and we're doing everything we can to help them and strengthen them. Then they slip away from us and open their eyes in heaven. I just can't imagine how wonderful it's going to be. I'm trying. I like to have a little holy speculation once in a while. Oh, the river of life and the tree of life on both sides, this giant tree with a river flowing through it and 12 kinds of fruit. And every month the fruit bears. and that, That's just part of heaven. The best part of heaven's going to be Christ. But we have a title deed to a mansion in the sky. Let not your heart be troubled. Don't let things down here throw you askew. Don't let things down here knock you sideways. Jesus is on his throne. And he's going to take us home. Now, let me give you a little something else and I'll be done. Why was it that Jacob... Israel said to Joseph, don't bury me here. First of all, Egypt's not home. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Egypt's not home. Canaan, I know Canaan's a land of victory and victorious life, but in this setting, I'm making Canaan to be a picture of The land of promise. When we get home to heaven, it's going to be everything He promised. It'll be everything He ever said. We're going to get so excited that it said it's going to sound like a thunderstorm. We're going to be so thrilled to be in His presence, according to Revelation chapter number 19, that it's going to sound like Niagara Falls. The roar of a mighty falls with God's people saying amen, hallelujah. Doesn't take a big vocabulary to get some some glory going, does it? The land of my birth is heaven. I'm born from above. The term born again literally means born from above. That's our origination point. When we got saved, we were issued a birth certificate in glory. Amen. Well, my fathers are laid to rest there. I was standing out there the other day looking, it's 120 of our folks that we've buried. That's a decent sized church. It's 120 of our people we've buried. And I went down through the list and read the names and Remembered the faces and remembered the funerals. Remembered times with them. And I got to thinking, I got a whole bunch of folks on the other side of the river already. The last thing I want to do, give you today is this. I don't want to leave an example for these young folks, college age, teenagers. To be satisfied with this world, don't be. Don't don't fall in love with this world. Love not the world, neither things that are in the world. If any man love the world, love the Father's not in him. What God is offering, what God's promising, what God's giving, is far better than anything this world could ever, ever, ever give you. And we want to leave a trail for these young ones coming behind us clearly marked clearly blazed this is the way walk ye in it heads are bowed and eyes are closed no one's looking about would we have someone today that slipped a hand up and say preacher i'm not a christian i want to be but i'm not would you slip your hand up? let me pray for you. So I'm trying to understand it, but I'm not yet a believer. Let's stand our feet, their our heads bowed and eyes closed. Father didn't see anybody raise their hand, said they's lost. Perhaps they're trying to hide it. Perhaps they got some measure of shame. Oh, Lord, how I pray the Holy Spirit of God might draw them with bands of love. Father, for those of us that are already on our way to glory, help us to rejoice. Don't let us get bogged down in this world. This world is not our home, and we have possessions, and our possessions are spiritual and cannot be removed. Speak to our hearts, I pray in Christ's name. Amen.